This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. Are you enjoying these podcasts and pod courses sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com? But are you craving a more in-depth and live-action class? Then join me Wednesday, December 5th in Parsippany, New Jersey, or Thursday, December 6th in Edison, New Jersey, or Friday, December 7th in Tinton Falls, New Jersey for a six-hour ASHA and IOTA-approved CE event. Pediatric Dysphagia, Establishing the Brain-Mouth-Gut Connection, sponsored by Pessy Inc. Don't forget to bring latex-free gloves, a snack, and a drink. We will be comedically and functionally engaging the oral preparatory stage of our swallows and sharing our joyful double chins. Be sure to check out registration on my website or Facebook page, heartwoodspeechtherapy.com, or go direct to www.pessy.com. See y'all soon. P.S. If you can't see me live in New Jersey, don't worry. I'll be in Ohio and Indianapolis in January. Thanks. Bye. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast was, like most creative processes, birthed from a combination of a several cups of coffees and, honestly, even more questions posed by a series of impassioned graduate students that I've had the pleasure of supervising over the last several years. First Bite's mission is to answer those questions that we've all had, but we've either been too afraid to ask or we didn't have the subject matter expert saved to our own personal speed dials. So, do you too have more questions and answers when it comes to treating your medically complex and fragile pediatric patients? Are you unsure if the signs and symptoms that you're observing are indicative of an allergy, maybe an underlying GI issues, or could they possibly be neurologically driven? How many questions do you really have for that registered dietitian regarding the formulas prescribed and the flow rate through that patient's G-tube? Have you ever been consulted for a quote-unquote difficult latch, only to find out that the mother is exclusively breastfeeding, but you've never nursed a little one or worked with the breastfed patient before? And what about functional communication? Are you so over flashcards, but you need advice on how to get started with core vocabulary with a non-speech-generating device or how to find the right fit for a speech-generating device? Do you have additional worries about the basic day-to-day running and documentation of your private practice? How do you go about obtaining referrals or even documenting that note so that the insurance company deems it medically necessary? If you answered yes, well, then come join me, Michelle Dawson, for this dynamic podcast presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Who am I, you ask? Well, I'm a self-described SLP geek with, as my family says, a touch of the ADD and ADHD. I have a passion for serving the least of these, namely the most complex and involved pediatric patients in their natural environment through my private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in the Columbia, South Carolina metro area. 
I also have had the pleasure, and currently still am, traveling the country where I lecture on best practices for pediatric dysphagia and functional language acquisition delivered through an early intervention natural environment model. Are you still intrigued? Then come join me as I interview some amazing folks. And don't forget that you can submit questions for a Q&A or interview request topics to me via email at firstbyte at speechtherapypd.com or on our Facebook page. And also check out our website, drop a review, subscribe to obtain those coveted ASHNA CEUs. All right, folks, let's get right to it. Welcome back to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I'm your host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. The topic of today falls in the functional category, and we are talking all things functional communication via AAC. On that note, I am thrilled, humbled, and kind of geeking out in awe to introduce my mentor and friend, Dr. Carol Page, CCC, SLP, ATB, CBIS, and Director of the South Carolina Assistive Technology Program. Let me clear the air and openly admit that even on my best of days, I feel pretty clueless when it comes to working with little ones that need AAC. But after a few years of being mentored by her, I have a few more clues than I did before. I'm older, so I remember being taught the phenomenal attributes of pictures and Velcro. I was the queen of lamination. Then one fateful day, a colleague told me about the South Carolina Assistive Technology Program. And being new to the state, I went on a quick road trip and met Carol. Let's just say that after 20 minutes in her presence, my mind was blown away by the concept of core vocabulary and that AAC is more than arts and crafts and hot glue gloves. My biggest takeaway from her was simply, you need to start where you want to end. And that had better include core vocabulary. So on that note, let me introduce Dr. Carol Page and ask the first question that I've always wanted to know, but have been too embarrassed to ask. Um, But as you're on your end and I'm on my end and you can't see me blushing, what in the world does the alphabet suit mean after your name? Well, hi, Michelle. Thank you for letting me be part of this podcast. Um, Well, first off, I have my PhD in speech language pathology, and I got it here at the University of South Carolina. And then after that, I have my assistive technology professional certification, and that came from RESNA, which is the Rehabilitation Engineering and Assistive Technology Society of North America. And then the last is my uh, certificate in brain injury um, as a brain injury specialist. And that came from the American Brain Injury Association. So your um, geekiness rivals my own. I appreciate that. <laughs> you're, just, you're just more educated. I love this. But you do it with grace. Yay. Um, okay. So you, you really did whip me into shape. And when I first met you, I, was, um, I had come from out of state where all I knew about assistive technology was that it was kept in a cubby in the head office at the school district that I worked for. And it was a lot of shiny Big Macs. Um, and I didn't see any iPads in there. Granted, I'm older. I'm not actually sure if iPads were there back in the day, but 
we were really, really encouraged to use picture exchange communication system with a, a whole lot of nouns. Um, we did a whole lot of uh, three ring binders. Um, as you, you sort of know, but most people don't know, I'm pretty confident I'm going to go down as the only woman in history that was almost laminated to death because when I was a speech teacher, nobody taught me how to properly use the laminator and my name badge got sucked into the laminating machine and I had to rip the cord out of the wall while my face was very close to the two very large walls. <laughs> and there was nobody around to rescue me. And I was like 24 and I had a panic attack in the art room closet while I almost laminated myself to death. But I should have known then that AAC was more than lamination, but like, uh, alas, I did not. So, um, well, I'm glad you made it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was before sneeze pee post children. Otherwise, there definitely would have been one of those. Exactly. <laughs> yes. But Michelle, I want to let you know that where you were was exactly where I was at the beginning as well. Yes. And that's such a good thing to bring out is what comes intuitively isn't necessarily what the research says and what's going to move things along the fastest. So we kind of have to get out of our heads a little bit and really um, dig deep into the research and look beyond what comes intuitively. Yes. And, and you told me that. And I will never forget there sitting in your office surrounded by these amazing devices and contraptions that I didn't even know existed. Um, it, and you told me, you were like, if there's been a mistake, I have made it. I have done it. And I yes. have learned from it. Oh, and, uh, I've done it more than once too. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm just thinking about some of the ones I've done even recently and kind of like, yeah. But that endeared me to it That because this is scary. Um, for me personally, using an AAC device is actually scarier than treating a kid with an oral pharyngeal dysphagia because I have to convince everybody in their family and their surroundings and my colleagues that are treating at the school district that they should all buy into what sometimes the first time the child's ever worked with like a speech generating device. And and you, you planted, you gave me hope. So um, full disclosure, folks. Um, been there, done wrong. So did Dr. Carroll. We can all learn. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I still make, yeah, it, it still happens. Um, but the thing is, when it does happen, you know, you can't fall into that definition of craziness and keep doing things over and over and expecting a different result. You got to try something else. And what is that thing we're going to try? We we got to go to the research. What does the research says say that we need to try? Before we get into the pre-populated questions um, that you and I have already talked about. Do you have a favorite resource that you like to go to? Right now, um, actually, I've made my own little quick cheat sheet called AAC Basics that I give out to a lot of people um, that just has like the highlights just to get their feet wet, um, help them put their big toe in the water. And um kind of get them familiar with, you know, just basics of where to start. Is there any way that I could ask you for a copy of that to share? Oh, absolutely. Okay. 
Well, when, when we're done, if you can email me that, then I'll get it added to sure. my website and then folks can have another, another way to access that. Okay. Thank you. That would be awesome. Yes. Okay. So then, um, all right. So then let's get to it because you and I could squirrel all day long. Um, all right. So one of the first things that you would like me to, which in retrospect, wow, this is humble pie. Um, what specifically do you mean by core vocabulary? And why is it so vital to augmentative communication? Right. And core vocabulary is well studied at this point um, by many people. And it is those three to 400 words that we say every day throughout the day that make up about 80% of what we say. And what's the big deal about that? Like, why do we care um, about these core vocabulary words? And the truth is that we've, we've got to start putting words in front of the kids that they can use and adults that they can use every day throughout the day. Um, and so it's not just core vocabulary, but then there's also something called fringe vocabulary. And fringe vocabulary makes up about uh, the, the other 20%. And those are words that are pretty unique to the individual. And that's going to show what people's likes and dislikes are and what hobbies they have and favorite things they have. And um, those will definitely complement the core words that are used. But what's neat about the core words is once they're identified, we're kind of good to go because what my core words are, Michelle, are the same core words that you have and the same core words that, you know, the next person has. Um, so that we know if we are working with core words, we're definitely on the right track. Um, the fringe words are, are going to be unique to the individual. And so that's part of our assessment to figure out what those vocabulary words would be to complement the core vocabulary words. Okay. So um, the first time you said this, you, you provided me a handout. I think it was the PRC core vocab. It was like the first 100 words. I think you gave yes. it to me years yes. ago. Um, and what, what came up, I don't know, months later, my mother-in-law was in visiting and she was a special education teacher. And she's like, you have dulge reader words. I was like, what, what, what are you, what are you saying? Because yeah. I never had literacy embedded in my graduate training. So that's, I mean, it, it just wasn't a big crux of what I was taught, but the first three, 150, 200, 300 words from that core vocab correspond immediately to the first, um, what is the Dolch primers and that 300 words? Yeah. yeah. 200 I thought, but it, yeah. And they overlap beautifully. Yes. yes. So folks, we're talking about verbs and prepositions. The first words kids learn are actions. Kids are, for lack of a better phrase, the um, little Charlie Brown cartoon character that's covered in dirt, that kind of the dirt cloud follows him. That's what little people are like. They are emotion. So up, down, in, out, help, yes, no, go, stop, want, eat, drink. Those are some of the first core vocab words that I know I use with um, my special babies like Monday through Friday. Um, now, French vocab, an example of French vocab at the current moment in Pat Dawson, um, the three-year-old is really into Wonder Woman. So Wonder Woman is probably said several hundred times a day. So that would be one of our unique fringe words. 
But what I like, I have actually had patients come in and sit down and have an assessment with Dr. Carroll to give me guidance because I need to know where to go, especially if the child has a cortical vision impairment or a seizure disorder or fluctuating baselines, like what we look like three days a week might be higher than what we look the other few days of the week. You take time to ask about their ADLs, what they do in the course of the day and what they love to kind of guide the discovery of the French and you, you do it very, like you're just having a conversation. It's not, it's very cool to watch. <laughs> and it's so important too, because that's going to get, that's going to be very motivating. And you brought up so many things in just what you said. I mean, first you were talking about the Dolch words, and I would like to talk a little bit more about that. And I have a really great um, core vocabulary board at um, it wasn't created by me, but it's the first 36 um, core words that are also Dolch words. And it is a, um, you know, just a low tech board that I'll be glad to send to you too. I think um, I have that one on my website. Is that the color okay. block one where it says, yes. like, I want you and the pronouns are on the left? Yes, yes. What's so great about promoting literacy with AAC? I mean, we just dove right into this, but um, I can't stress working on literacy at the same time as AAC enough. Um, one, you do it without knowing it because it overlaps so beautifully with the Dolch words. And then two, um, you know, that is our big hope for all of these kids. Um, you know, our number one goal with AAC is that they will actually be verbal enough to not need it anymore. And then if they still need it, our goal is that they would be literate so they would be able to spell anything they wanted to say and not have to rely on the pictures. So um, relying on the pictures is fine, but it's limiting um, once you can spell, you can say anything you want. So our, you know, if, when we're thinking about down the road, which I always do, I, I'm like, okay, here's this child today, but what are they going to look like when they graduate from high school? And what is that, that goal that we're working towards? And so, um, you know, literacy has to be a big part of that. And the other piece of that too is so often, um, now, not 100%, but so often school teachers are not really wild about being part of the communication plan. And we really want them to be part of that. And so letting them know, hey, this device is helping you teach literacy is going to definitely draw them in and make them part of that communication team around the child. Yep. Um. I have, I feel like for a lot of, especially our rural school districts, they are um, afraid of venturing into the world of a higher tech speech generating device because of the inherent cost in the, the, in the device. But I know in South Carolina, we have a couple of resources that are available to offset that cost. Um, one, the patient's private insurance can pay for it. Um, I know that you've personally guided numerous speech pathologists and assistive tech teams through the process, um, especially for like the private rehab. Um, we also have it's something that I just found out about Amplify Life for a child that's five and older that will for free provide um, 
uh, a communication um, device and app, um, if appropriate. An um, iPad and an iPad. one app. Yes. And it's in an OtterBox case. Yes. Yes. And then, but before they get to that point of this is the device, this is the app, communication app that we need, folks can across our state check out a device from you for free for, and I'll slap my hand because I am personally horrendous at this, for a two-week time period. <laughs> Again, yeah. slap my hand. <laughs> but it's available to trial. And when I've been to other states, other states have this option as well. Um, so yep. there's there's options there such that if you work in a rural area, you can still feel um, you, your hands are not tied by that financial hindrance there's options around. Um, and then don't y'all have a, um, a program where that folks can donate devices to, to get checked and loan, um, to, Oh, what is that program? I can't remember the name of the program that you have. Y'all have more than communication devices. You can even, Oh yes. What, what is that called? You mean for the medical equipment? Yes. I can't remember. Yes. Yeah. The reuse program. Okay. Reuse. Yes. I just brain farted and I couldn't remember the name. But so folks, if you're listening and you have a device that a patient no longer uses, they've outgrown, they've advanced, you know, I know the assistive tech here in South Carolina will gladly accept it, but if there's something local, you know, share, as my grandma would say, pass it on down the line. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so we take in medical equipment and included in that is communication devices that people don't want to use anymore because they've gotten a new one or they don't need it anymore, um, whatever reason. We take it in, we get it all cleaned up, we, we take it back to factory standards, and then I find a new owner for it. And the people we find for owners for these devices are people who have no funding, um, absolutely no way of getting these devices on their own. And so, um, yeah, this is like a really important thing people can do for another person. I think that's awesome. Okay. I just, I, before I forgot, I, we had to speak to that joy for a moment. Um, okay. So now one thing that um, I, I remember coming in and telling you with such pride that I had worked so hard to photograph and laminate. And this time I didn't die, so that's exciting. But photograph and laminate um, a patient's toys, every single toy that this child had in their house. And that particular little fella had a um, a demyelinating um, genetic condition such that as his um, body expanded as the nerve cell expanded, the myelin sheath didn't keep up. So um, his physical skill set continued to atrophy as he became older. Um, And I was so proud that I had gone to all this effort because he could um, pull that laminated picture out of that uh, little notebook and communicate to his family as to what he wanted. Granted, he also had to be able to flip multiple pages because he had a lot of toys. Um, He was a very fortunate child. And you smiled and you said, okay, well, what if he doesn't want to play with the toy? And I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't really have a good response for that one. <laughs> so, um, you, that, that was one moment, uh, in time, but I thought I was following what was taught to me 15 years ago as best practice for the commu- um, uh, picture exchange communication system. 
And then just recently we came across um, an event where um, uh, a local family that was also receiving services in the schools was told that they could not have a referral for a speech generating device until they reached a certain level on um, by using the picture exchange communication system. And you were very polite and shared with me. Um, and we ended up passing the information out, um, a patient's communication bill of rights. So can you explain yes. best practice as it pertains to picture exchange and what exactly is a communication bill of rights? Right. And the communication bill of rights I've actually reproduced. Um, I definitely, um, gave credit um, that comes from the American Speech and Hearing Association and the National Joint Commission uh, on People with Disabilities. And they came up with a bill of uh, communication rights. And it basically says, if you're breathing, you and you're nonverbal, you have a right to a communication system. Um, there's no waiting. Um, and they even go through talking about it's so much more than um, just, you know, that you're able to make um, choices. Um, so, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I just need to give them two choices and we're done. And it's so much more than that. So, um one of the things uh, I'm pulling it up right now, um, it's the right to interact socially. The first right is to interact socially, maintain social closeness and build relationships, which is um, the very essence of being human is to be social and have social closeness. And then to um, make choices, um, not just of objects, but of actions and events and also people. And then the also the right to refuse or reject things. So important. I can't tell you how many communication systems I've seen where the individual um, does not have yes, no vocabulary on their communication system, and they're not able to produce that with their um, body in a traditional sense. But what I hear is that there are like major meltdowns and things like that. So we definitely want these individuals to have a right, uh, a way to appropriately refuse or say no. Because if we don't give them an appropriate way to do it, they will find other ways to do it. And that's pinching, hitting, biting, slapping, you know, kicking, you name it. Um, those are all the things we want to avoid. So we've got to give them an appropriate and way folks, to do kids it. Kids can learn to say stop, especially when they're going through OT and PT and they're getting stretched and it hurts. The ability for a child to say stop. And I've gone so far as to put on a communication device the option to say knock with the word off nearby so they can, you know, try to say knock it off. We built up to the word it, but um, probably wrong, but that's what we did. But being able to tell an older brother to knock it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or I, I don't like, or I don't like you and things kids say to each other. Yes, yes. That's all part of core vocabulary. Um and the other thing, they have the right to make comments and have opinions, which a lot of these individuals aren't given opportunities to comment on things or, or to express opinions. So that's really important to being a human. And um, then also to be able to give people information and also to be able to ask for information. Um, 
again, I've worked with teenagers um, who had very extensive and very complicated electronic equipment communication devices, and they did not have one question word on the whole communication device. And so they had no way to ask what or why or anything. Um, They just went through life constantly being told what to do and never being able to inquire about their environment or what was going on. So... Um, They have the right to have interventions, and as soon as a disability is identified, that marks their right to start intervention as soon as possible. And um, then um, they have the right to have the communication acts acknowledged, and that's huge um, because when somebody with a communication device relays a message, as a communication partner, we need to let them know we receive the message in whatever way makes sense. So if a child says, I want a cookie, and it is not time for them to have a cookie, or they just ate 100 cookies, um, I need to let them know I heard that by saying, no, no, it's not their you know, it's not time to have a cookie. I might pull out a clock and show them in, in two hours, you can have a cookie or, or show a picture of what they're having for dinner. And after they eat their hamburger, they can have a cookie or whatever and have a discussion about cookie. But ignoring it is not the appropriate response to somebody using a communication device. And then um, the right to be treated with dignity and address with respect and courtesy. And there's one video I show when I do my trainings, and it's this little girl, and her teacher says, what do you want people to know about you? And she uses her communication device, and she says, I want people to talk to me normal and not baby talk to me. Um, so important for kids. They, they know when they're being talked down to, and um, they really do want to be um, treated with the same dignity that their peers are treated with. And then the right to be addressed directly and not spoken for or talked about in the third person. And oh my goodness, um, as professionals, you know, how many times do we do this? And just any way we can do to avoid it. And the way to avoid it is by giving the um, individual who's nonverbal a communication device. And um, then also the right to have meaningful and culturally appropriate communication. So if, um, if somebody is from a different culture than, than the professional is from, the professional needs to find out what is appropriate for that culture and to make sure it's reflected in the communication system and that we're responding in an appropriate way. So um, that's, that's the Bill of Rights in a nutshell. Um, definitely, you would want to check out that handout on Michelle's website, and um, you can see even more. Um, but you can see this, this isn't anything that we don't ask of somebody who's verbal. And basically, we're saying all the rights that a verbal person enjoys is available for people who are nonverbal. That's all we're saying. This podcast is brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. SpeechTherapyPD.com is an engaging, evidence-based continuing education site that offers over 450 continuing education hours. The best part? The information garnered can be applied in therapy immediately. It's functional and fabulous without the hassle of trying to translate technical jargon from a research article. Can I entice you more? Well, then get your suntan lotion ready because next summer, SpeechTherapyPD.com is hosting a CEU cruise. 
That's right. July 27th through August 3rd of 2019, the amazing, delightful, and oh-so-kind Char Beauchart, M-A-C-C-C-S-L-P, will be the featured speaker for 12-plus continuing education hours on a cruise ship through Greece. That's right. You heard it right. Greece. Want to get the preview or want to catch a preview of the information she's going to share? Then tune into her pod course, The Speech Link, which is also eligible for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Maybe, oh, just maybe, I'll see y'all in Greece. Okay, so before we segue to, before we segue over to the PECS component, if a treating clinician were to feel that for whatever reason their hands were tied and that um, their student or their patient's um, communication bill of rights was being um, uh, violated. I mean, we both know I go, I'm a bull in China shop. So I just go in all guns a blazing and I'm not very good <laughs> at not being me. But, you know, you catch more flies with honey, which is actually not true. I grew up in the country. You catch more flies with beer. But like, um, how would you recommend... Um, working to resolve that issue with grace intact? That is a very good question. And one way you can do it is um, talk about how it's going to benefit the person who is saying, no, no, they don't need a communication device. So um, if it's a teacher, we're going to point out that this is going to help teach them literacy. It's actually going to help the teacher with teaching. Um, it's going to help the child participate. Um, you know, sometimes it's a different strategy. We had um, a high school teacher that uh, told a student in her general education classroom that she wasn't going to call her on her anymore because it too long, took her took the student too long to make her message on her communication device. And at first glance, that sounds terrible. But then, you know, really, we got in there talking about it. And um, she wasn't a bad person. She just didn't understand how augmentative communication works. And so what we did was come up with different strategies for that situation, so that the student could still participate in class, but the teacher wasn't losing a lot of time by waiting for the message to be created. And so it, it kind of like, um, it helps to take a step back and to figure out how we can make this a positive experience for everybody. Um, so it, it does take some out of the box thinking. Um, and, and explanation, education. What I have found is if I simply educate, but and not in a Michelle Dawson woof, mode, but in like, okay, hey, did you hear about this? Like a seek to understand. We, we open more doors that right. way, but, um, that, that has, yes. I am still a work in progress on that one friend. <laughs> yeah. And two, um, mainly people think it's overwhelming. So how can I, how can I explain the very basics without it being overwhelming? And, um, one thing I try to do is find out one thing they're willing to do different. And that's the goal. Um, and once they get that down pat, then we can add on other things. But um, yeah, uh, you know, finding that little niche of compliance, how, what are they willing to do that's going to move the child forward with their communication skills? Um, you know, not sometimes this all goes very easily. And sometimes, um, you know, it, it is a, it is a, a multiple conversation 
outcome. Was that three degrees of change? And and that what that's called? Three yes. Degrees. Yes, that's okay. We yeah. fight the good fight, stay in there. Three degrees of change, and or getting tiny hammers or multiple hammers, we can change the world. Yes. Okay. Well. In a very wise speech language pathologist told me one time that everybody has, um, everybody needs to hear something X number of times before they understand it, before they can carry it out. And my X is different than everybody else's X. And I might need to hear something four times on one issue and five times on another issue. So you just never know. That, that is a wise SLP. That was not me. I don't know who that was, but that's a good woman. <laughs> I assume woman. That's sexist. It could have been a man. Uh, okay. All right. So then the question I want to know about, the, the one that we've beaten around the bush, talk to me about um, the, the noun approach with um, the picture exchange and why that approach is no longer um, evidence-based. Well, and honestly, um, the picture exchange communication system um, company has done lots of research that shows it's very efficacious. So um, let me just start with that. But I would like to say there's other research that points in different ways. And one of the things is that... um, I rarely hear that somebody, this is a six-phase training program. I rarely, rarely hear anybody getting as far as phase five. And usually people are at phase four where um, the child is creating sentences with I want, and then they finish the sentence with a noun. And um, the the books that are written about PEC says, please include core vocabulary, you know, please you know, have all these small words in addition to the nouns. And if people did that, we'd get a little bit closer to the mark. There's other issues that we have to be concerned about. But the bottom line is I meet, when I see PECS notebooks, they are, I want, and tons of nouns. And I even had somebody come in last week and I said, how many nouns are in there? I said, is it between 25 and 50? Because my experience is once it gets to be between 25 and 50 nouns, that's when things start to break down. And sure enough, it was just over 25 pictures um, of nouns. So um, there's a couple of things, you know, nouns are fringe vocabulary typically. And so fringe vocabulary should be 20%. So the words I and the word want are core vocabulary. And so the percentages in most PEC books are the way they're constructed by people are in reverse as to what the research says. So on a good communication device, that's going to promote language and promote communication. It's going to be about 80% of the words are going to be core vocabulary. In PECS notebooks, I'm seeing 20% of the words are core vocabulary. On a communication device that's built for language and communication, um, the fringe vocabulary is uh, 20%, but on a core vocabulary, uh, excuse me, on a PEX notebook, um, that fringe vocabulary takes up 80%. So the percentages are reversed. Um, so right off the bat, that's always a concern for me that we're not offering enough core vocabulary with PECS, even though 
you are more than welcome to put those core vocabulary words on PECs, um, on your PEC notebooks. And that would be great. The other thing that happens, and we really haven't touched on this yet, so I'm going to introduce it. And that is that on a PECs notebook, usually the pictures don't stay um, in the original spot they're located. And so pictures are taken off put it put on the sentence strip, then the sentence strip is dismantled and the pictures are put on different pages in the book or <clears throat> if they're put on consistent pages, they might be in a different spot. And um, OTs will tell you, OTs love me when I say this because um, this is such an OT thing, but um, <clears throat> motor memory is what makes us do things quickly and to have motor memory means things need to be left in the same spot all the time and so that's where we were talking about michelle when you were saying start where you want to end up like if i the word i is in the upper left hand corner day one you need to make sure it's in the upper left hand corner on the last day you use the device too, like it, it cannot move. Um, and a good example of, of how motivating this is, is especially thinking about kids with autism. So many of them love sameness. There's nothing same about the PEX notebook from one day to the next. Um, the content's the same, but you know, the positioning is not the same. And why is motor memory so, so important? It's because I've seen kids with autism and then um, another young man um, with a vision impairment who are able to use these devices without looking at them. And they're able to use them really quickly. And that is awesome. Um, that's what we want them to do. That's great. Um, the only way they can do that is where everything stays in the same place from day one to, to the end. Um, and so think about this in terms of your keyboard at your computer. And when you learned how to type, if you had formal typing lessons, your eight fingers went on the home row keys. And they, um, whatever your right hand did, your left hand did. And um, those keys, even though we didn't use the whole keyboard, we started with the home row keys and those keys to it stayed in the exact same place. Now, imagine most people type at about 60 to 80 words a minute. What if we were to um, take your keyboard away and say, hey, I'm going to give you this other keyboard and I've moved all the letters around and I've added letters and I think you're going to do so much better with this one. And that's what we do with communication boards. Well, no one would put up with that new keyboard. A lot of people would just say, forget it. I want my old keyboard. I don't want to learn this new keyboard. It's too hard. And that's the way kids are as well. And so um, the other way of... Um, keeping things the same from the first day um, until the end, people tend to start with, and I used to do this, and not only did I used to do it, I used to do it great, and I would start with two big messages, and then four, and then eight, and then 16, and then 32, but every time you do that, the messages move around. And so, even if you start with 32 squares, you might choose to start with just four pictures showing. And if it's an electronic device, you would be able to hide all the pictures except for four of them, but make sure those four pictures always stay there, that they don't move. 
And then um, as time goes on, you can unhide pictures or if it's low tech, you can add pictures until you fill up all 32 blocks. And that's what we mean by starting where you want to end up. And part of that is being, um, you know, really being optimistic about the progress the individual is going to make with these communication systems. So when people, you know, just start out with a very few, I'm, I'm always the one pushing, no, no, let's think bigger than that. Let's think that they're going to gain more language, more vocabulary than that. And to, um, you know, create a, a, an atmosphere of expectation of growth and learning. You, the only thing I could think of the entire time you were talking is one, you're brilliant. And two, did the millennial generation that's listening learn to take keyboarding? Because all I could think was the analogy would be, you know, when you learn to text rapid fire on yourself. There you go. <laughs> yes. Now, yes. I have had parents ask me the question, um, but she's not even looking at it. I had one dad that would get so frustrated um, because, yeah. you know, the child had um, a rare genetic syndrome and uh, the capacity for verbosity from a verbal manual spoken perspective was significantly delayed, as was all other gross and fine motor skill set. Um, but when it came to the AC device, she was capable of doing three and four word utterances rapid fire, but she would look at the speaker and not at the board. And dad would say, I want her to look at her words. And then he would get frustrated that the images, the picture icons that went with the word were like abstract. They didn't make sense. Um, in his frame of reference, um, I'm thinking like the picture for where was actually a t-shirt instead of the question where. Uh, and I said, yeah. well, and that was not my doing. That was the design of the app. Also, I apologize that um, Chewbacca Dawson is partaking in the podcast, but um, working furry mom problems. Um, but I explained it's muscle memory. The beautiful thing is that your daughter knows and she wants to seek your out attention. She is making that eye contact with you so that you know she is speaking to you. She's engaging with her communication partner. But exactly. that that can be a hard sell for parents that want them to look at what they're doing in order to learn. Um, and that's one that I still personally struggle with communicating with um, communicating that to families. Um one thing that you talked about was a cortical vision impairment. And honestly, we're not going to have time to cover that today, but you do so much with and have taught me so much about a cortical vision impairment and how their field of vision from one day may not be the same on the next day and yes. technology and stuff like that. So I'm going to like throw you under the bus and say, can we do like a follow-up just on like eye gaze and cortical vision impairments? Would that be okay? Sure. Okay, perfect. Sure. Okay, well then- can, can I, we, we left off one thing, Michelle, can I go over oh, one yes, more thing? Yes, yes. I realized one of the things we didn't talk about was aided language stimulation, oh, yes. okay. which is a big fancy word that's just referring to modeling. And this is where we want teachers, speech language pathologists, brother, sister, um, you know, um, the aide in the classroom, whoever the communication partner is, to use the student's communication system to talk to them. Because just like we model speech, 
to get kids to speak, we need to model communication devices to get them to use communication devices. And aided language stimulation is showing so much promise, and it's it definitely to be used in a natural environment. And while we're talking about natural environments, an unnatural environment would be um, testing a child on their communication device. And I always tell people, if you want to turn that child off about using their communication device, just start testing them. And that means you would say, you know, where's, where's the message on where, where is, um, you know, places, where is this, where is that? And you're having them locate things. So, um, or identify pictures, you know, like, what is this? And they're supposed to somehow tell you it's drink, you know, um, or to match pictures or to match pictures with objects. All of those things just aren't very productive, but doing aided language stimulation where you're modeling how to use the device while you're having, while you're talking to the child in a natural environment is going to get things moving as quickly as they will move. So that's the ideal circumstance. Um, Folks, when I do the aided language stimulation, if I have a kid that's having a knockdown, drag them out, like they are mad, then I get on whatever their AAC device. And there's one app that I tend to use more predominantly. And I say, I feel mad. And then I'm stomping my feet right next to the kid. And normally the the children that I'm working with are on the spectrum. But it's really interesting because all of a sudden they see me modeling it on the device and I'm having the hissy fit to mimic their hissy fit. They stop. They look at Miss Michelle. She has lost her mind. And (laughs) but, but, But you know what? The kid will then turn around and say, I mad or a variation, I feel, or I feel mad. And I'm like, yes, Bubby, that's, that's how you feel. You're, you're allowed to be mad. You wanted that. And it's funny how you say cookie. I try not to do cookies with my kiddos, but one little boy that I saw this morning, he likes this potato non bread that his family makes. And that, that is a unique French word and not readily available (laughs) on those pre-programmed tablets out there. Um, but cultural competency 101, we're, we're working that in as the fringe, but um, he's mad. He didn't want to eat his, uh, his non-bread this morning. Okay. All right. We've got, we only have five minutes left in today. Um, and I do want to bring you back for the one on the um, eye gaze and, and the cortical vision impairments. But um, I have often felt like it's, it's, I'm the solo ship steering um, or pushing for an AAC device, um, especially in my little home health world where we're all naturally isolated. But I'm not it. I'm not the AAC team. Um, there's there's more involved in that. So who else would you say is on the child's augmentative communication team? When it comes to augmentative communication, I always say the speech-language pathologist is the coach for everybody. Um, So you are the coach, Michelle, and the um, funding requester. Um, So other people on the team are definitely the parents. Siblings can definitely be on the team. Other family members, grandparents, awesome. Um, 
you know, people in the community, if that makes sense, you know, people at church or, you know, where, what other community places you go to? Um, have, in line at Chick-fil-A. Yes. Sorry. And Chick-fil-A. <laughs> even other parents you go on play dates with or something like that, they would be on the team too. Definitely people in the school. I've um, worked with some kids, um, getting them into, you know, like, natural environments where, you know, we go into the media center and um, we're working on greeting the the media specialist so we can ask a question. And um, so, you know, the media specialist can even be on the team. So all the adults that are part of this child's life are definitely on the team. The, the doctors on the team, the OT, PT, um, any other therapists are on the team. Yep. Any other communication partner would be on the team. And the speech language pathologist is always asking people, please model how to use the device. Um, let's make sure, you know, there's core vocabulary in there in addition to their fringe vocabulary and, um, and promoting language whenever we can in natural environments. Now, um, in the early intervention home health world, um, we are isolated and that sucks. Like, let's just acknowledge how much that, that is, that is a disadvantage, especially when you don't work at a clinic and you can't just like pop down the hall and say, Hey, so-and-so, can you come see what Susie Q, Billy Bob Thornton's doing? Um, so what one quick strategy that I have used to overcome that is I have the um, patient's caregivers take cell phone videos of me on their cell phone. Um, what we're doing, I'm, I'm talking to the camera as if I'm given like a little mini, you know, this is kind of what you want to go for. Um, this is how we're using it. And then I have them play it to the other therapist. Um, and we relay information back and forth that way. Plus what I have found is if I have the mom record me working with the child and the child sees themselves they we're vain by nature. People, humans are vain. Um, and the kid loves to watch what they're doing and they'll imitate and replicate whatever target phrase or, you know, core vocab we've introduced. Um, it, it increases their, um, the child's progress because it's an easy um, carryover, like a home exercise program strategy for the family too, but very that, motivating. Yes. Yes. So, um, now, I mean, I do ask families not to throw me all over like YouTube or something like that. But um, so find your realm of, you know, comfortability with this. But that can be a great resource. Yeah. Um, I mean, video is always a great resource. And, you know, even to videotape the parents interacting with the child, um, you know, where it's their turn to talk to the child and you would videotape it and then sit down and watch it together. Yep. Yep. And and have the mom videotape you. Absolutely. It can go both ways. Jennifer Kent Walsh, um, she's with the um, University of Central Florida, and she came up with a, a great um, program uh, that included a lot of video um, taping to train parents. And if anybody wants a copy of that, I can send it to them. But um and, or you could just look it up, but uh, it's parent training, um, and the author is Jennifer Kent Walsh. I believe it's 2015 or something like that. Okay. Now, I, I know we're always <laughs> – I feel like I do this. Whenever I pop by your office, I, like, word vomit a problem at you, like, on the fly, and then you just – 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, we've resolved it. But, yay. But um, if a person has um, additional questions – 
or if they live locally and they want to troubleshoot a case with you, or um, if they want to make a donation, how should they reach out to you in the assistive technology office? Okay, please call Carol Page at the South Carolina Assistive Technology Program. And if you have an old communication device you want to uh, donate, I'm definitely interested in it. And you would just call me at 803-935-5301. Or you can email me at carol, C-A-R-O-L dot page, P-A-G-E at uscmed.sc.edu. Thank you. Oh my heavens. You're like, I love you. You know that. You're just, <laughs> you, by being you, you have made our little Palmetto State better and so very, very many ways. And I am so grateful for you and um, your walk and your work. So um, it's definitely, it definitely takes a village um, for these kids. So it's not anything anybody can do by themselves. So thank you, Michelle, for being out there and advocating for these kids like you do. That lightning rod thing my dad keeps telling me. <laughs> okay. Well, um, on that note, we're almost out of time. And apparently a fur beast on here needs to go get walked really quickly. So uh, before we switch over to questions, um, I just want to wish some uh, dear friends out there a slightly early but very happy Hanukkah. And um, Dr. Carol, if you'll hold on two seconds, I'm going to switch us over to the question line. So hold on one second. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite. Fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Feed those babies.